This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and today, well, let's sit back and relax, because we're going to be talking about a pop song that came out more than 40 years ago. Yeah, I know. Holiday by Madonna, which was actually her second ever single it was her first big hit, and it came from her 1983 album, which was called Madonna. So, it's a chance to talk a bit about Madonna, a chance to talk a little bit about Taylor Swift, but also a chance to talk about vacations, holidays. How long have they been around? Are they even a thing back in history? And they're really quite interesting. So, first things first, let's talk about the wonderful Madonna Ciccone, or just Madonna as she is. So, she comes from this tour de force, super trashy, extraordinarily catchy period of 80s pop music. Now, obviously, there's very catchy pop music from all generations, but you've got to look at what she was dressed like. It was just layer upon layer of stuff, bangles all over the place lace gloves, a tutu over leggings. It's like she was thrown into a charity shop <laughs> covered in glue and she walks out with whatever she hit. There wasn't any rhyme or reason to it and therefore that made it interesting. If you go back to something like the 1960s and you think of something like the Supremes, Diana Ross, whatever, they're dressed smart. They're almost in their Sunday best type dresses. 70s, bit more down-to-earth, bit more country and western. Women might be singing in plaid shirts and denim jeans, something like that. But there was a real spectacle to the 1980s, the likes of Adam and the Ant, you know, the new romantics, Duran Duran, etc. There was just a completely new image. And Madonna was one of these people who invented a new image for young women. And the thing about Madonna is... If you're going to compare her to some of the greatest singers in popular music, let's say someone like Aretha Franklin or Beyonce or whatever, she doesn't even come close. Madonna is not one of the greatest singers of all time. What she is, is one of the most innovative, 
and one of the most fashionable singers there's ever been. In 1983, it looked like she was going to have maybe two or three hit songs. I mean, Holiday is basically a bit of a novelty song, really. It could be out there with Black Lace's Agadu or I Shut Up at Your Face. It's a not so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up at your face. Other songs where it was one hit wonder, it did well, and then nobody thought about it ever again. But no, not in the case of Madonna. She would go on to have hit after hit in the 80s and on into the 90s, where she evolved her style. If she was still wearing the same stuff as she was in 1983 and 1990, that would look weird. But you've got the Blonde Ambition tour, where she got Jean-Paul Gaultier to redefine her look, and she has that conical chest look, the very long blonde ponytail, just always reinventing herself. And then on into the 2000s, she's getting more dance tracks coming out. So apparently, by the 1990s, she was paying people to go to the clubs and all of the cool places to spot trends. So she was able to be underground and bring it above the ground before the underground even knew that it was a trend. This is somebody who understands the marketing of pop music, pop culture. It means popular. So yes, absolutely. Why not try and pick up on these things and make them fashionable? But she was ever evolving for a 20-year career of coming up with new, interesting, fresh sounds. And whereas, again, none of her songs in any given year, you're going to turn around and say oh, they are the most musically gifted of that particular year. But when you stack it up together, you have an incredible back catalogue of tunes and sounds where Holiday does today sound old-fashioned. But do you know what? Madonna would have agreed with you in 1985 that Holiday was old-fashioned and, and not really one to hang on to. She kept moving on. This was the difference between her and other people where they found their sound, they found their look, and they just stuck with it. To her, it was disposable fashion that she's now going to move on and evolve and change at all times. I think you can tell I have real respect for Madonna. I like some of her music, but, you know, the woman knows how to do it. Which means I have to now, in the back of my mind, because I've been having lots of conversations about Taylor Swift. About five years ago, I remember I was running a training course with a bunch of graduates. I do less and less graduate work now because I'm now seen, in essence, as their business dad slightly intimidating, even though I have a benign presence in the training room. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And I love training the completely fresh people into business because they're so open-minded and they're so full of energy as well. And they can ask really interesting questions. Other people, once they're 10 years into their career, they kind of know what to ask. What would you say was your motivation for working here? Being part of a team, I'd have thought. Oh, yeah, well, just let him answer. No, I'm saying probably what you're saying if you ask him. Yeah. Well, I am asking yeah. him and I'd really like him to answer. Yep. Do you want to answer him? But uh, when people have got no idea, you've got no idea to which direction the conversation's going to go. So anyway, I made a passing comment. I don't quite remember why, but I made a passing comment that I hadn't heard any Taylor Swift stuff whatsoever. And this one girl was mortified. And during one of the breaks, she said, Jem, Jem, sorry, sorry, I heard that you weren't listening to any Taylor Swift. I'm a, really, I'm a huge fan. I really, really want to share some with you. Would you mind listening to some? Yeah, sure. 
And you know what? I cannot tell you the song that she played me. But the thing is, there I was sitting there listening to it and she was just staring at me like this is going to change his life. But that's not what happens. And what I'm going to say is I've noticed about music as a whole, and this is where I'll come, I will come back to Taylor Swift and Madonna, don't worry. Just taking a couple of steps away, but it will be brought back again. Is when it comes to all of the types of pop culture, I will watch the same movies as my kids. We will play the same video games as well. Watch the same TV, maybe, depending on tastes. But the point is, I know what they're talking about. And while things do move at the speed of light on social media, that's a different thing. But something that's been around for longer than TV and movies is music. And music really does separate the generations. Fascinating. Over Christmas, I caught up. I have all these friends that I went to school with that I'm still friends with, and everybody's had kids. And so, while I'm not actually the uncle by bloodline, I've known these children since they were born, and I am literally godfather to a couple of them. And I love them to bits, and I try and help them as they move on, develop in life. And, and it's the same with my friends and my kids as well. But some of them are really quite musical. And I, just out of curiosity, I went, Okay, does anybody know what number one is at the moment? And none of these teenagers, male or female, could tell me. And we ended up looking up the top ten. And what was interesting is there were a couple of acts in there that one kid in particular, yeah, he really knows his music. He goes, I don't recognize that, that act and I don't recognize that act. So that's two out of the top ten that they'd never even heard of. That shows you how fragmented music is today. But generally, when I was a kid, my parents would say, turn that racket down, and their parents the same when they were kids with their parents. So it is one of these things, and it's, it's not like Taylor Swift. And so going back to the girl, she was looking at me, and I took out the earphones, and she went, well, and I went, that's really well-polished pop. That's really well done. And she just looked completely crestfallen. And I went, I'm sorry, but Taylor Swift is not looking for a middle-aged man to be her core demographic. She goes, oh, Taylor loves everybody. Went, sure she does, but that it ain't people like me who's buying all the stuff. In fact, that would probably be pretty creepy, quite frankly. So Taylor Swift has just become this phenomenon. Again, I have huge respect for Taylor Swift because as I understand it, she was a country and Western singer, but then she decided to go into the world of pop because she knew she could become bigger than she dominated one area of music, but that area is quite niche. Country and Western sells well in America and that's about it. Whereas pop music is popular around the world and Taylor Swift is a phenomenon. And the reason why I'm comparing the two is because Taylor has evolved. If she had just stuck with a country and Western, she would have a great career. And I guarantee that 90% of her fans would not have even heard of her. But if she stuck to the genre she was in, so she evolved and changed and changed the rules of music. I have a niece who's a real Swifty, I believe. And it's genius what they're doing there. And it's, I can see how it's taking the Madonna principle of like, I'm a commodity, I'm business. This is a brand. Let's go for it. But taking it even further to the point where, yes, the fashion by various pop acts have been around for a long, long time. It was a nice jumper she was wearing, but it was ridiculously expensive for a jumper that she hadn't even designed but she had put her name on it and it's like this this is just by association which i can understand it if the act actually designs the outfit or whatever then 
fair enough, but that's not the way it goes with Taylor Swift. But then, and this is the bit where I was having disagreements with this, and I want to be quite clear because I was trying to articulate it at the time, and I'll, I'll do it with you guys right now, is if you're not aware, Taylor Swift is going back re-recording her old albums because she doesn't like the company who owns the albums and doesn't want them to earn anything. So she's not re-recording them in a different way, like the acoustic version. She's recording them note for note like they were, but slapping a couple of extra songs on the end of that album. So why would you buy the original? You'd want to buy the new improved version, and I presume more money goes to Taylor Swift. At which point you're worrying more about the money than about the music. And to me, nobody lasts forever. Going back to Madonna, she had 20 years of evolution. But everybody gets a bit older, and people don't necessarily want to see a middle-aged man or woman prancing around. Yes, you get the Rolling Stones, but they're the exception to the rule. And what happens with the Rolling Stones is they start playing the greatest hits. But right now, Madonna is still touring around the globe, sellouts. But it's not as big as the Taylor Swift tour. And Taylor Swift had a concert movie that came out in 2023, and it became the biggest grossing concert movie ever. Apparently on the era's tour, which that concert footage is taken from, she's earning allegedly $12 million every night she performs. And she's worth it. Please, don't get me wrong. I have no beef against her. And look, you ask for what you can get away with. No footballer is worth $100 million or pounds, but... The reality is, if you can sell that many jersey shirts, you know, pick, pick a sport. Some people are ridiculously overpriced, but if they give you the trophies and also people want to buy the merchandise associated with them, you'll make that 100 million back again. I get that. And if you're a singer, it's just you. You are completely dependent on your own voice and things like that. But when you get to the point of re-recording all your old material because you're angry with about a contract... That, to me, tells me that you're, all things must come to an end, and it wouldn't surprise me if in, let's say, 10 years' time, people look back and go, that's when it started getting a bit too corporate for Taylor and where she lost her edge. And somebody, again, will invariably move along. Madonna was unstoppable for 20 years, but now we've got Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift will look unstoppable for 20 years, but then somebody else will come along there's always somebody else. I, I did a whole episode on the MCU and comparing it with the rise and fall of empires. It's the same with any actor. Nobody is 100% popular throughout their entire career from the time they start to the time they die, unless it's a very short period of time, like James Dean, for example. So back to Holiday and Madonna, and also back to that what's in the top 10. I'm of the generation, and there's probably people aged about 10 years younger than me. So let's say from 40 upwards in Britain and probably America, because of shows like Top of the Pops in Britain, I don't know what the American equivalent is, every week they would show you the top 40 and people would tune in to find out what's number one. There would be the radio show on Sunday afternoons where they'd be playing the latest top 40. Who's number one this week? We find out on Sunday at five o'clock in the afternoon. And me and lots of other people would sit there patiently with their C90 cassettes ready to record bits off the radio because we didn't have enough money to buy all these records. And we would record it. And yes, we, we got 90% of the song, but annoyingly the DJ would talk over the beginning and the end of it. But hey, it was good enough for free. Happy days, happy bits of nostalgia. 
But the thing is, with somebody like Madonna, they put out great videos, but they also toured. And I remember Madonna there live on top of the pops. I say live, but there she is on top of the pops in England singing Holiday. And when it first came out in 1983, it was one of those songs you just couldn't escape. It was everywhere. It was what got people to listen to your radio stations. All the radio stations played it. Of course, while it's going up the charts, it's going to be on top of the pops. But obviously those videos, if it was an American act, they're not going to necessarily be in the UK all the time. So yes, she was on top of the pops, but also we got to see the advert as well. A young, attractive woman lying on a beach in a bikini. I'm a teenage boy. Yep, that, that worked for me. Actually, I was a bit younger than teenage, but she gave me fuzzy feelings. Let me put it that way. So that, that didn't hurt either. It is interesting how if you just look at that one song, like I say, technically it wasn't her first single, but it was her first big single. It didn't indicate the sophistication, evolution, longevity of her career moving past that point. And that's what tickles me. But the thing that I don't understand is whenever I talk to Americans, they're always going on vacation. And whenever I say holiday, it's like they put on a terrible British Oh, holiday. Oh, yeah. Well, the word's holiday. Okay, you use vacation, fine. But if she's American, I don't know why. For the record, the writer of the track, it wasn't originally for Madonna. It had been passed around to lots of other people. Nobody really wanted it as a song, but they realized when they were building the album, they needed a real populist tune. And so he recorded it with Madonna. And it worked out pretty well for everybody, didn't it? But there she is singing Holiday when she should be singing Vacation, which doesn't really scan, but that tickles me. So hopefully it's been a while since I've done a song one. And obviously at time of recording, I don't know what Greg has done to put in various bits of Madonna. Holiday, etc. But I hope you've had a flavour of it. It might have been a very long time since you've actually heard it. Don't know if he's put in any Taylor either. You might be expecting me to say something bad about Kanye <laughs> and how he ran up on the stage and ruined my VMA monologue. So this is very much a Madonna love up in terms of this particular episode. But now let's move into the more historical side of things. Because I'm going to say that a certain type of holiday vacation has been around for quite some time. Let's talk about Diodorus and Antipater. Not exactly the same as Madonna, but those are two ancient Greek writers writing round about 100 BC. Hard to get an exact date on it. But these are the first two references to the seven wonders in the world. You know, the whole pyramids, lighthouse of Alexandria, all, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not going to, maybe at some point I'll do an episode on the seven wonders of the world, but not this time round. But why write about them? Because it was written for better off Mediterranean people who are thinking about, well, what do I need to see to improve myself, to educate myself? Well, you must go and see the Colossus of Rhodes. So 
in a way, the Seven Wonders of the World is the very first travel guide. You really must go to Anatolia and see the mausoleum of Halicarnassus, that kind of stuff. But already, even before then, there were centers, and, and we'll, this will continue for 2,000 years or longer, that there were sites of significant religious importance. And whereas I'm going to use a very anachronistic word, this wouldn't have been used at that time, but the idea of pilgrimage, the idea of taking a holy trip to bask might be the wrong word, but to experience the sheer sacred nature of this site has been going on for a very, very long time. It is written in Babylonian texts, it's written about in Egyptian texts, and then much later in things like Greek texts. So yes, going to that really important temple, the average peasant might do it once in their lifetime. And they're not doing it to get drunk and have a jolly and get a suntan, which is the sort of things we might do today in some kind of vacation or holiday. This was for more worthy reasons. You might think that was the reason, but they're still human beings. And one of the things that I've, I've commented on, I, I did a couple of episodes about comedy. And the thing is, because we tend to read about famines and wars and this kind of disruption, it can make the past look very humorless. And so I'm now going to make a wild jump into the medieval era in England and talk about the Canterbury Tales, Chaucer's masterpiece. Geoffrey Chaucer, the writer, probably read my book. Because I'm going to say it lifts a veil over what it was like on these pilgrimages. Now, millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Canterbury Tales, if you don't know, is about a group of people who are going on pilgrimage to Canterbury, which is the most holy site in England. It doesn't match with the likes of Jerusalem, etc., etc., but what it clearly shows with the baker and the knight, etc., is it's a mixture of people. Yes, there are people like the knight who are higher up in the societal structures, but there are a lot of common people being written about by Chaucer, and it's very bawdy, and people get drunk, and it's quite lewd. And there is no doubt that if somebody has saved up their entire life to go and see, let's say, the Temple of Zeus in Olympia, Mount Olympus, well then, people might go and have fun on the way. Why wouldn't they drink? Why, you know, this, this is a high point of their life. Time to have some fun. So whereas, no, we don't have exact details. There are actually some chronicles about people where parties got out of hand around these religious sites. So, we can't say for sure that those are pilgrims. They might have been just locals in the area, but it's all pointing to the fact that, do you know what? Human beings are human beings, and we like a laugh. But it does show you that the idea of going on a travel, going on a trip, holiday, if you like, has been around for literally thousands of years. Now, this is different to things like feast days and religious ceremonies, where you are not expected to work on Christmas Day, or indeed on Easter. You are meant to go to your local church and pray. There were loads of feast days in the ancient Roman era. What, what's interesting is people do like pointing out that Sol Invictus, this idea of there's a Roman celebration around about December 25th, it's like, oh, the Christians sort of took it over, etc. Well, when you look at how many different Roman feast days they were for Dionysus or Saturnalia or whatever, you know, they're just all these different feast days. It's almost impossible not to get the calendar, throw a dart in it and not hit a Roman feast day there or thereabouts. So there seems to have been a bit of a fashion, particularly in the last 15 years, to sort of say, oh, you know, the Christians took over these pagan ceremonies and really they're more pagan than you think they are. But there's been more recently in the last, I'm going to say, four or five years where people are pushing back going, but it could also be coincidence. We don't know exactly what's going on, other things, etc. But putting all that to one side, the fact that I've just mentioned a whole load of feast days in the Roman calendar shows you that the Roman faith with your Marses and stuff like that and Jupiters, that was taken as seriously by the people at the time as Christianity in the medieval era. So whereas, yes, the average peasant in the fields might get some days off because of religious ceremonies. Indeed, the idea of the weekend didn't really exist until the Christian era, and therefore the Romans would just keep working until there was a feast date, which explains why there were lots of them, so that people would get regular breaks from the daily grind as a slightly different thing. But going on pilgrimage, and obviously if we're talking in the Middle Ages, Christians, the ultimate pilgrimage would be to go to Jerusalem. So, yes... Some people did travel to Jerusalem, 
Indeed, the First Crusade, nobody described them as crusaders. They were referred to as an armed pilgrimage. But that's an oxymoron because pilgrims were never meant to be attacked. If you had a bandit that attacked pilgrims, you could argue easy money because the one thing about pilgrims is they're not meant to, to be armed, but also they're not meant to be molested as they go through areas. And also they're likely to have some money with them to stay in an inn or to buy a piece of what we would now call tat, but one of these things has a, a little piece of the original cross. That is something that you can still buy in Rome and in Jerusalem today. A hustle that has been around for 2,000 years. Absolutely astounding, quite frankly. So yes, the very first type of holiday or travel or vacation was religiously motivated. So... When did people start having fun? Well, actually, just one more on a different religion. I wrote an article about Mansa Musa, who was an emperor of the Malian Empire, which was in West Africa. There is a modern-day country of Mali, but it encompassed more than that. And basically, Mali had a huge quantity of salt that was extremely valuable in the medieval era for preservation, and gold, lots of gold mines. So the Malian Empire was fabulously wealthy. And Mensa Musa, I wasn't the person who invented it, but I did end up writing an article about it, talking about how he went on the most expensive holiday in history because Mali and the emperors were Muslim. And so it is one of the pillars of Islam that at some point you must go on the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca, where you undergo various different rituals as a part of a form of cleansing yourself as being a good Muslim. Islam is an inherently practical religion. If you actually read the book, the Quran, not the Hadiths, but the Quran, it's got things like during the fasting, Ramadan, it says don't fast if you're pregnant or if you're ill. In other words, if you're up to it, if you can deal with it, then you should go on the Hajj pilgrimage. If you can earn enough money to, then you should. If you can't, don't worry about it. But obviously, if you've got all the gold mines, you're going to have to go on it. And this man went on quite the trip. So from Mali to Saudi Arabia, that's across the whole of northern continent of Africa, he stopped off in Egypt. Apparently, every Friday, which is the holy day for Islam, wherever he was, he would give the locals enough money to found a new mosque. So he did that every week. And when he arrived in Egypt with his thousands of slaves and entourages and so on and so forth, it was just ludicrous. He managed to cause more destruction to Egypt than some invading armies, and yet all he was was just on pilgrimage. How did he cause this damage? He flooded the Egyptian market with gold, and it led to massive inflation, and it's just a, a bizarre thing. And obviously he then had to come back again as well. It took, took him about a year to do the round trip. That was too good not to share with you, but there we go. Another example of a religious holiday. So when did people stop doing that and start having just fun fun? Well, we get something called the Grand Tour, which starts off in the 1700s. Now, unfortunately, this is for rich people and generally rich guys. And so the idea was, particularly in Northern Europe, everyone was aware that places like Greece and Italy had all this culture from a long time ago. So really you should go and see that. It's a form of, it may not be religious, but it is still a pilgrimage to appreciate the art. And you'd have these 
young men doing the grand tour, going round southern Europe, checking out all this art and perhaps writing some poetry at the same time, but also invariably going to bordellos and getting drunk and gambling away the family fortune, that kind of stuff. What's interesting is by the time this really got, got rolling in the 1700s, Venice at that point was no longer a republic. It was no longer the powerhouse it had once been. And really, it started just needing the tourism. So it's one of the first places which basically became a tourist attraction alone rather than what it had once been, which was one of the most powerful trading powers on planet Earth. But it just wasn't there in the 1700s. It had been outdone by geography and the New World and so on and so forth. I found it interesting when I did take a trip to the pyramids, people were kind of horrified at the the people selling cheap tat outside the pyramids. They are fairly aggressive, I will agree with them on that. But at the same time, it's like they have had 4,000 years to work out how to pester the tourists because we ain't the first people to come here and gaze on this, the only last standing wonder of the world. Like I said, I might well do one of the seven ones of the world at some point. So, yes, the Grand Tour is the first time, if you like, they, they're turning around to mummy and daddy and saying, oh, yes, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn Latin and Greek and I'm going to write my, my poems. And what they actually did was have a jolly good time, Jem said politely. So, when do we start getting the working classes going on holidays? And the answer is, we unfortunately, we have to look at the Victorian era onwards and with the arrival of cheap mass transportation. You get these places, particularly in England, of these seaside resorts, these coastal towns like Skegness and Brighton. And the idea was that you can get away from it all. You can get away from the smoggy, dirty city and you can breathe that fresh air because it was cheap to get on a train. Maybe you stay overnight in a bed and breakfast. It doesn't cost a fortune. And this was hugely popular. If you're going to look at America, well, why don't we talk about Atlantic City? One of the few places that you could gamble legally in America. It's on the coast, even though it's the Atlantic coast. And that was hugely popular. Just just look at things like the, the period roundabouts just into the 20th century. There are all these photos of people on the boardwalk, be it in Brighton, be it in Atlantic City. And so all of these seaside resorts did very well. After World War II, we get the advent of cheap jet flights. And now we can go to the Costa del Sol. So there's this thing... I read this article about this. Scotland does get snow, and Scotland has plenty of mountains. So why does Scotland... Now, Scotland does have, I do feel obliged to say, Scotland does have some ski resorts. But you don't think of Scotland for skiing. Why? Like I said, it's in the same country. It's only an hour's flight away. You can use your own money there. Why isn't Scotland a major hub for both Scottish, English, and I guess Welsh as well people to go and do skiing. Well, like I said, the clue was in the hour-long flight. In a two-hour flight, of no discernibly more money, I could be in the Alps. And the Alps are hillier and snowier. And so, yes, in Europe, we tend to go to the Pyrenees and the Alps to go skiing in our millions. And we do that thanks to cheap flights. 
Now, of course, I, like probably everybody else when they were like 13 years old, the school does the ski trip, which involves going on a ferry and then having like a 14-hour coach ride to the, the Alps, which obviously is sitting there having fun and eating way too many sweets and so on and so forth. It was happy days. And even then we had basic electronic games to play with. And they put on a, a video on the on the one TV screen there. But I mean, nowadays it's even more fun to travel around for long periods of time if you don't have to do the driving. But yeah, that's an even cheaper way that you can do it. And again, the, the quality of these places is amazing compared to somewhere like the Cairngorms in Scotland. So it's just that they're simply outstripped, basically. But once we have these cheap international flights from the 1960s onwards, then everything goes crazy. Then we get the rise of the discount flyers, the easy jets of this world, the spirit in America, and they get knocked all the time about being terrible service and yada, yada, yada. But if you're young and you don't have a lot of money and you don't have a lot of luggage to carry with you, why not? Why not take advantage of those cheap flights and go to Bulgaria where, you, what do you know about Bulgaria? Not a lot. Let's find out, shall we? So once we arrive at the jet-setting era, we get a different piece of pop culture. This could have been the inspiration for Holiday by Madonna, or not, who knows. But you get these TV shows about going on vacation. Indeed, the holiday program on the BBC, starring Judith Chalmers, was an absolute mainstay in the 1980s. The basic setup was the presenter, and they'd have multiple presenters, would go to a place, you would see all the facilities and amenities, and they'd lie on the beach and have a good time, and at the end they would say, we flew with these people, this would be the average price for a two-bedroom apartment for seven nights, that kind of... So in other words, it's almost like a movie review of a holiday so that you can choose the right vacation for you and your family, or maybe you and a couple, something like that, uh, later on in the year. And that led to its own almost counter-pop culture with the Rough Guide series, because the, the Judith Chalmers version was all very family-friendly, and it was clearly mum and dad paying for the holiday, whereas Rough Guide was like, okay, you are a Gen X 20-something. This is the 1990s, by the way. So, you want to backpack in Bali or get amoebic dysentery in India or whatever. I want to see the real Australia. And so you had far less money and they would do the same basic thing, but you wouldn't be staying in four-star hotels. It would be youth hostels in Bogota or something. So that would be fabulously dangerous in the 1990s, but I digress. Those sorts of holiday, vacation-type programs were fabulously popular around the world. Which brings me on to the editor of this podcast, Mr. Greg Chapman. Now, this is an example where look, I do my own things and he does his other things. Where we come together is on this podcast. But he has done his own series of travel programs. I am not involved in any way. I have no skin in the game, but I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend for you to see things like Romania Seeking Dracula's Castle or Seeking the First Dinosaur Hunters. This is Greg and Felicity's wife. The two of them go on a journey together. It's, it's a little bit like this podcast in the sense that you get the travel, you get to see the sights, 
but also they're explaining the history at the same time. Really well done, so it's slickly produced, considering it is a husband and wife team with a van and a very limited budget. He's doing drone shots of this castle in Transylvania. Really impressive. It's the sort of thing that could be on mainstream TV and you wouldn't think it, it looked cheap or anything like that. Really, really good series. And I'm sure Greg's now going to come in now and do a little plug. Do you know what? I don't think there is any plug I can give for our videos that is better than what Gem has just said. Gem, thank you so much for those kind words. Please do check out our videos. If you go to gregandfelicity.com, simple as that, gregandfelicity.com, you will find links to all of our documentaries. Thank you again, Jim. The world of travel is absolutely gigantic. I think I mentioned this previously in a podcast that there was a time when I worked on an exhibition called WTM, World Travel Market, where literally every single country that isn't at war has a stand. And what's interesting about it is the stand is not reflective of the size of the country, it is reflective of how important tourism is to that country. So, obviously, things have changed nowadays, and my information is 10 years old, but there was a time when the Greek stand was bigger than the Russian stand. Now, Russia is the biggest country in the world, but obviously I would imagine they would not be at 2024 World Travel Market because they are at war, special military operation or no. But Greece still needs... Lots of tourism, thank you very much. And of course, I think we have to be careful. Here we've got a bit of an ethical moment that getting onto a jet airplane is not good for the environment. There's no green way to do it. Oh, you can carbon offset it, possibly, but you're also depending on those people to be growing a lot of trees for that all that carbon. A jet engine absolutely uses fossil fuels and it needs to be producing a lot of power to be keeping itself up in the air with the 300 people and all their luggage, okay? So, if you want to be good for the environment, if you want an eco-holiday, never get on an airplane to go to another country to help build a dam. Do something in your local area. Sorry, it might be newts in the local river, but that is actually better for the environment. Then, of course, the issue for the locals is, okay, there are loads of jobs, but they're all pretty low-grade jobs. There's only one hotel manager, but there are 15 cleaners. And there's somebody doing the swimming pool. There's a bartender. You know, these are not well-paid jobs. So whereas lots of money's coming into the area, it's not guaranteed to be going to the local people because that hotel is probably owned by Hilton or whoever. My point isn't against Hilton. My point is it's an international conglomerate rather than specifically helping the people of Mykonos or wherever. So I think we have to be careful about that as well. So there are now ethical dilemmas. There's the issue of like, do I go to this country because I, I like it or not? But the problem was, as I said, that once we get the beginnings of this travel for the working class people, places like Skegness and Brighton are lovely and they're a great slice of British culture. But I'm going to say the Costa del Sol, the coast of sunshine in Spain, is a better holiday. So getting on an airplane and going to one of the Spanish islands, like it could be Ibiza or it could be something like the Canary Islands or, or whatever, tend to be low cost, all-inclusive hotels, guaranteed sunshine. Why would you not go there? Particularly if you've got a young family or something like that. So what we've had is a steady evolution. Where does it go next with travel? I don't know. 
But the thing is, now that I've told you all those things, it's not going to stop you getting on an airplane and going to places, is it? In fact, in 2024, I'm going to do my very first ever cruise. My sister's a huge fan of it. She's been nagging me for years, so I'm going to go with her and her family and my family, and we'll see if I like a cruise around the eastern Mediterranean. Just to sort of bring it back to this podcast, we're setting off in Venice. We're going to this place uh, in Croatia and then on into the Aegean. And my sister went, oh, you know, so it's the eastern Mediterranean. But I looked at the map and went, we're following the route of the Fourth Crusade. And she just rolled her eyes and went, only you would be able to work that out, Jeff. There we go. All of this can be extrapolated back to Madonna and her sellout tour still going strong in 2024, more than 40 years after she started her career, when people thought she'd be a one-hit wonder, and holiday, which of course should be vacation. And look, I haven't said this for a while. As always, please click subscribe. Please give us a review. Please tell somebody about this. I'm on X or threads as at Jem Daduchu. Twitter, let's call it Twitter, shall we? I tell everybody what the next episode's going to be. Please feel free to spread the word. Tell somebody. If you like this podcast, tell somebody about it. It all helps it grow. And as always, another episode coming soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.